Hi, this is Clarence Moon, producer of Bring It On, and we're about to launch our show in just a moment. But before we do, just want to come your way and talk about uh, the fund drive that WFHB is currently involved in. Uh, it's, it's a vital, uh, important way, critical way to keep our station afloat and to support the wonderful programming that you hear, such as Bring It On. We, as you know, we are a multiple award-winning program now in our 16th year. We call this the Sweet 16 and help us celebrate this sweet 16 year as October is, is the year that we started. We launched uh, with our first interview on former IU basketball coach, Mike Davis. And that was our lead off interview. And that was, as I said, 16 years ago. Wow, time certainly flies. But we, we need your support as the station does and other wonderful programming on the station uh, needs your support. Uh, there are many different ways to give and we have invited uh, for this sort of kickoff into uh, are asked during the, the Bring It On segment. Cade uh, Young, who is the uh, general, not general manager, but he is the news director, I'm sorry. I gave you a quick promotion, Cade. Um, but uh, he is the uh, news director. And Cade, uh, welcome to Bring It On. I know you've been a busy man during this one drive. Can you quickly tell us about the different levels of giving? Yeah, thank you so much, Clarence. Well, first of all, you can give by donating online at wfhb.org. And you wanna click on the big red button. We have a donor who is giving dollar for dollar matching funds for your donation. Go online, click the red button and select bring it on. And if you want your donation matched, just select the match option. And another way, Clarence, that you can give is by calling WFHB at 812-323-1200. And those are your two main ways you can give during this fall fund drive. Oh, that's exciting. Someone who listens to WFHB is so vested in WFHB that they want to match dollar per dollar, uh, the gifts that come in. And, and that's tremendous. And so while they're uh, making that investment, we like for you to make that investment yourself. Well, as I promised, uh, we have a great show lined up for you as we've been striving to do, even in the midst of COVID-19, uh, the station uh, through its innovation has uh, provided a means by which we could still go live and still bring you uh, what we feel is the very best of black uh, public affairs programming in Indiana. So, and without any further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's segment of Bring It On. Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Cornelius Wright. In February of this year, as part of the city's Black History Month observance, one of the four events was the State of the Black Community Address. One of the topics that address, one of the topics that was addressed was a presentation of a Black-owned business in Bloomington. The results of a countywide survey revealed that Monroe County includes no less than 42 Black-owned businesses, with more than 60 employees generating at least $2.56 million in annual revenue. While those numbers represent a conservative count, the exact numbers are probably a little larger. 
at 4.3% of the population in the city of Bloomington and 3.6% of Monroe County's population, the African-American community is small but not without its share of entrepreneurs. In hopes of identifying more Black-owned businesses, the Black-owned business affinity group was created in 2017 and is currently working with the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce to conduct outreach to provide support and assistance. Here to talk about Black-owned businesses in Bloomington are Aaron Preedmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, Dr. Virginia Githry, lecturer at the Indiana University School of Public Health in Bloomington, founder and owner of Popcorn Kernels with a Twist, and Jim Adams III, Territory Sales Leader for State Farm Insurance. Welcome all to Bring It On. I'm going to go to Aaron first. Aaron, would you mind sharing with us, with our audience, a little bit about the Chamber of Commerce? how you interact with local businesses in the community and how you came to be involved with the Black Business Affinity Group. Sure, uh, thanks William. And uh, I'm really glad to be here with you guys uh, to discuss Black business in Bloomington and how it all interconnects right now. It's an exciting time. Um, the, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce has about 900 members and it's essentially just a group of, of businesses and organizations within the community that want to be together. Um, so we. They can be in Bloomington and Monroe County. Uh, we do have some businesses that are outside of Monroe County that work with other individuals and organizations within our community. So they wanna join the Chamber of Commerce as well. Um, and as a group, we are able to determine our own activities and connections that we wanna make with the community. So we do that through advocacy efforts with the local, state and federal uh, governments. Uh, we also do a lot of networking where we get people together so that they can both uh, connect to, to grow their business, but also maybe to learn from each other as well and to have uh, positive business interactions. Um, we do some professional development. And then we have lots of benefits and things like that that we do for our members as well, like cost cut, you know, cost savings kind of programs and things like that. So altogether, we use the power of those 900 businesses and almost, we estimate about 30,000 employees all told to be able to improve the lives of everyone here in our community together. Uh, we do a lot of work in the schools, and then, as you mentioned, we've got um, outreach that we do within different uh, minority groups that we've just recently started. Um, and it's kind of come about with the Black-Owned Business Affinity Group being the first one that we began to, to be able to make sure that that welcome mat is out, um, that we recognize that, that we were missing Black-Owned businesses within the chamber. We only had a few and, and realized that that was something that we needed to do a better job of, of encouraging both um, that invitational uh, attitude and, and also just making sure that those resources were really and truly available to all businesses in our community. Okay. And... Uh... I also wanted to ask you, what types of services are you able to offer uh, to Black-owned businesses? Well, specific services that we do, we we've, um, are just in the middle of planning some networking and connection events in this coming year. Um, so just allowing that group to have time and space together uh, with some staff support as well so that they can uh, be able to just enjoy that time and, and learn and grow together. Um, but specific resources, I mean, it would be true for, for all of our services for members Black-owned businesses, if they are a member of the affinity group, um, because it's an affinity group, they are not required to be a member of the chamber to benefit from that affinity group. And that's a it's a great entree into the chamber overall so that people can begin to make those connections. So the, the resources we have are, are, like I said, networking connections so that they can meet. Uh, maybe they need an, an attorney because they need to do some incorporation for their business or they're planning to do, they're trying to look at a contract and they're not sure if it's a good one for them. Um, that's something that we're able to do very easily for them because we know the attorneys in town because they're members of the chamber. So we can help with that introduction. Um, maybe they need a banker for a loan or that sort of thing too. So it's, it's about allowing people the opportunity to ask those questions about what they need. And then our group and resources at the chamber um, 
will help them to overcome those maybe barriers that they may have to business growth and uh, allow them to make those connections so their business is able to take off in the ways that they want it to. All right. I'd like to ask Virginia, who's wearing a couple of different hats here as we uh, get into the show, if she could explain a little bit about her work at the uh, Indiana University and how that translates over into your personal business uh, with the popcorn. Thank you, Cornelius, and thank you, uh, William, and everyone here. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, so yes, I am um, a faculty member at the Indiana University uh, School of Public Health, Bloomington. That's a very uh, important distinction on the name, just quickly, because uh, we did used to be under the name of Hyper Health, Physical Education, and Recreation years ago. So those of you that have been in Bloomington a while are very familiar with the name Hyper. However, in 2009, uh, it was determined that there's more distinctiveness to be a school of public health. So uh, because of that, you get to, for instance, be um, in line with Duke and Emory and different other schools of public health around the country. So we went through a whole accreditation process. I'm grateful and excited and thankful to have been one of the founding faculty members. Uh, so my name is officially in the document. We had to check our degrees and everything uh, as a school of public health. So we're now school of public health. We've uh, started the process in 2009. And uh, we're here now. So the school is, is grown. We have a lot of different departments. And one thing about uh, being part of the school um, as faculty members, we also have commitment to service. So as a faculty member, I'm a lecturer because I'm a teaching faculty, uh, which is what I desired and prefer and really enjoy. So I have a lot of interaction with students uh, having between 250 and over 300 each semester. Um, and so um, I have an opportunity to influence young people's lives. And um, but aside from that, we actually uh, have been a bit more intentional about including diversity, uh, con diversity metrics into the school, as it were, and speaking about diversity. So I've been carrying a role as chair of diversity and inclusion um, with the faculty governance um, committee within the school. So I've been serving in that role for a few years and we've done uh, projects here and there just in an effort to uh, create inclusivity within the School of Public Health. So um, with respect to business, I would say uh, there aren't really direct connections per se. I certainly don't champion myself as a business owner uh, within the school. I don't walk through the halls of the school and say, I own popcorn. Uh, but of course, anyone can Google you. So my colleagues and my students uh, have found out that I do run a gourmet popcorn shop and um, my company is uh, a vendor at IU. So we're an Indiana licensed vendor. I have a sticker that I was able to get approved about four and a half years ago that has my logo and the IU Trident uh, in it, which never happens, but the licensing office approved it. And now uh, as of November, 2019, we are the official popcorn producer for IU, meaning that before that department schools anyone affiliated with IU could look on the vendor list and order popcorn from us, but uh, being part of the catering menu and the food menu for IU is very different. So the executive chef reached out in November and um, asked if we would be willing to come on board. And so now anytime uh, IU needs popcorn for the gift shops, catering, any type of major event that the food services actually handles, we produce it. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, my popcorn is in the IU Auditorium, with the ballet, uh, whenever there are shows. Athletics is a different space, so we'll be working on that soon. Uh, but nonetheless, um, definitely it's exciting. And I think in particular, it's exciting for me just to feel the support and the love through the years because I am an alum, an alumna of IU uh, multiple times 
um, including my PhD, which I received now, it'll be, oh gosh, I think nine or 10 years of next year. I can't even do the math, but uh, several years ago. So, um, you know, just being able to be connected and affiliated, but people not only appreciate what you do as an academician, but also, you know, in what I've done in the community and in my business businesses or business um, in a more private space, uh, it's been it's been really great. And I, and I think just um, full transparency, it's also good for students to see that because oftentimes, um, in the academy, there are several, there are many who feel very, um, they feel it's very important to kind of be one streamed, if I could use that, or uh, on one track, right? And some people, that's what they need to do. They're better at that. A lot of people really can't do multiple things and thrive at those things. But I think it's also important for students to see and be okay with having this major job, gainfully employed, you know, what you went to school for. Uh, but also having a passion on the side or passions on the side uh, and you're thriving. So my, my speech always is whatever you do, be excellent at it. You know, be a person that uh, you can be spoken fondly of in any space that you're in. And I think it's really great for them to see that, particularly black students. And so I am thankful and love being in the spaces I'm in. Okay. And uh, thank you, uh, Virginia. And Jim, you are uh, a recent arrival to Bloomington. You've been there less than a year, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate meeting everybody. Uh, I've been here about four months. Been here about four months. So, uh, Very I'm yeah, I'm, I'm originally from uh, Mississippi. Well, I grew up most of my life in Mississippi. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I, we moved here from, from Naperville, Illinois, after about three years in Naperville. Um, I guess a little bit about me personally. Um, my wife, Teresa, we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. We have four children. Uh, our four kids live all over. Uh, matter of fact, I, I I typically wear my kids' stuff, so I'm wearing one of the youngest son's uh, shirts. Uh, you know, a lot of my kids uh, play sports in college. Jeremy went from A&M to Colorado, and, you know, anyway, so um, – I've been somewhat of, of a serial entrepreneur. I grew up, my parents were, were school teachers, but uh, in, in rural Mississippi, that was kind of difficult to make a living if that's all you did. So in addition to that, we, we ran various businesses. So I grew up working in family businesses from, from the very earliest days. And uh, we've started various things over the years. Um, actually, probably one of the more interesting things is we started a real estate investment firm that actually grew into the largest uh, minority-owned real estate investment firm in the country. Country. Um, had 20 full-time employees. We, we kind of like the late night TV shows you see, we bought and sold houses, literally hundreds of them. Uh, my, my per, I'm a big personal best guy. So my personal best was uh, we bought 70 at one time. Actually tried to break that record with uh, doing 100 in Memphis, but that deal didn't work out. So uh, my, my oldest children, they're, they're twins, they actually continue to run this part of the business out of Nashville. And uh, I, I do a little bit with that. Um, also, the thing about running a business that, that's also a big part of my story is I, I've had some tremendous failures, and that's actually kind of how I got to Bloomington. So when the real estate market crashed, I mean, I lost everything completely. I just started over. I tell people I went from um, owning over 100 houses to losing my personal home. So with that start over, I'd had friends uh, for 30 years that worked at State Farm. So we packed up, left Mississippi, moved to Naperville, all in hopes of actually getting this position. Uh, the thing I like about this role is, is it, it helps 
existing business owners. You know, every state farm agent is an independent business owner. So my job is to help them grow their businesses, uh, as well as I'm always looking for the next person to put in business. And uh, I, we, we chose Bloomington. We had a lot of other options. Um, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I'm forgetting some of them. Detroit, Michigan. We had four or five choices, but we, we, well, actually, that's not true to say I chose Bloomington. Actually, it was as clear as day to me, and that's another part of my story, that uh, although I didn't hear an audible voice, Almighty God said to me, go to Bloomington. And I, I initially said, hey, I ain't, I ain't going. So I actually came here. I came here, visited, you know, uh, a little smaller than I thought it was. I was like, I'm not going to Bloomington. So, but, but it was apparent to me that, that God himself said, I want you to go to Bloomington. I'm four months in, not having completely figured it out, but you know why, but uh, I feel like I was called here for a purpose and that's how I got to Bloomington, Indiana. You know, Virginia really kind of answered the question I was going to ask her with being at the Indiana University, how she came to be a business owner, the passion that really struck me. To our listening audience, um, especially to our young Black uh, listeners, what advice do you give them on starting a business, the pitfalls they may face, and the things that they need to do to get their ducks in order to try to start a business? So, and that's everyone. Uh, thank you for that question. And I appreciate Jim's uh, transparency because I was shaking my head like, yes, sir, because I do understand. <laughs> and I think that that's the thing that is lost on people, right? Especially young people in this age of social media. I mean, my students sometimes, they are uh, surprised when I reveal that I'm in my mid forties, right? And uh, they're like, no, Dr. G, you look 20. And I said, thank you, you're welcome, but I'm not. So what that means is there's been a lot of challenges, but, but what I will say is if I just talk about the popcorn business, cause I've had several, I'm kind of like Jim, I'm serial entrepreneur. I was that kid that watched my daddy uh, have gainful employment. My father was in finance. Both my parents are deceased, unfortunately, but my daddy was in finance, but he always had gainful employment and he always had businesses on the side. So as a child, I picked that up. So I was like, oh, okay, we can do that. So I continued to pursue education, get degrees, have different gainful employed jobs with insurance and benefits and always have businesses. But for this popcorn company, I actually originally started in 2007. I knew what it took to do a licensed food business. I was driving to Madison, Indiana, to use a commercial kitchen, that's a distance from here, paying $20 an hour to use the kitchen. So we're talking gas. I had a staff person employed with me. I was, I think I was between jobs in this impasse. I believe I had just finished my MBA. So it was 2007 when I first started. But all that said, the drive to Madison, I was spending so much money, but because I wanted to follow the law, right? So be working in a commercial kitchen. And um, I was selling online face-to-face, -face, but it wasn't enough to make sense. And so I let that vision go, but something just kept coming over me like you need to do this. So finally in 2016, I restarted and it was the time, but it did not come without pain because I, in full transparency, thought I was going to lose my home. I'm a homeowner. And I just, there was something in me that just said, keep going, this is the time. But I'm like, so I'm not gonna keep going because uh, I don't need to do this. And I mean, I had been not only in addition to being faculty, but also as a consultant. So I was used to making six figures, you know, with really not a challenge. And starting your own business, I stepped away from consulting after my dad died and um, used a lot of my own money, you know, over $70,000 of my own money 
to get this business going. And you know, that can come with some challenges if you're used to living a certain way. And, but there was just something in me that said, keep going. And I'm so glad I did not quit. So, you know, I would probably say if the vision and the dream is in you, do what you need to do to keep it going. But also I'm older than I was too in my twenties. So now I don't necessarily have the capacity to just bankrupt myself if I could use that. Right. I mean, um, cause I'm a little closer maybe to quieting things down and settling down in life than I was, you know, 25 years ago. So, um, I think you have to use wisdom in that, but with that comes talking to people, having mentors, seeking out resources like the chamber of commerce, becoming part of the groups. And then that hopefully will initiate you or interest you in actually joining. So I would say, yes, keep going. If the vision is there, there's going to be something that's going to push you to keep going. Sometimes you just have to re-strategize. Well, and. And let me add to what Virginia is saying too. I think that one of the things that I've noticed about businesses as they're getting going is the vision that they may have had at the beginning has to change, right? Because they didn't know what they didn't know at the start. And they think, oh, I've got this energy. I'm going to keep going. The businesses that I see succeed are the ones that are willing to listen to advice. They both seek advice and then listen to it. Because the other mentors, as you mentioned, having those people around you to say, okay, now that idea is good. Let's add this and this. And this is going to be a path that may work for you because they may have a better sense of the environment or the layout or some other, you know, some, some problem down that, that's going to be coming in the near future that maybe you don't have the experience to see. Um, so that's what we see a lot is yeah. regardless of, of who's starting that business is, is that willingness to listen. You know, something uh, I picked up on very interesting about uh, Virginia and Jim's background is that they both had a, a strong family background in business. Not everybody has that, right? So um, Aaron, with regard to the Chamber of Commerce, and, and the uh, support that you provide for businesses. Do you have a separate uh, type of support that you offer for existing businesses versus startup businesses? We don't necessarily have different support, but what we do is almost what you just referred to. You've got people who are just used to the lingo and know who to call and they understand how this thing works and who to, oh yeah, this is normal. I don't need to be worried about it. Or this is not normal. (laughs) I need to be worried. If you don't have that experience, if you didn't see your father like Virginia did deal with all that stuff over time, then you just come in with less experience and it just takes you so much longer to get over those humps and to do that. And so when we talk about minority business owners, for us at the chamber, recognizing that putting out, like I talked about putting out that welcome mat and just saying, come on in. We, you know, we want to be able to share these resources with you. Um, A lot of it becomes that, right? So you end up having individuals that you can get to know that will help you to see those struggles and to understand the, the opportunities that are maybe out there for you. And to, I mean, and to invest in you. I mean, we have people who are, you know, interested in putting their money like Virginia did in her own business, but they're looking to invest in other businesses. Um, So all of that stuff happens as you build those relationships. And so we really want those existing businesses to, um, and, we, and we have a great number of our members who are interested in mentoring others as they're coming along. Um, I, I also sit on the, the board at the mill, uh, which is a particular entrepreneurial space. Um, and so the chamber works closely with them and we encourage, um, now the mill does have a, a particular focus on uh, like innovation and um, kind of technology and that sort of stuff too but they have lots of trainings available. So we're able to share that stuff with our members too and make sure that people know about all the opportunities for growth. Um, Like I said, going back to what I was saying before, if you're willing to listen and learn and you're seeking all of that information, we've got it there for you. We just need you here and can plug you into, um, once we get to know you, we can know what's needed and then start to introduce you to people and and get you signed up for classes or, or trainings and things like that. 
by the way, I, I was very impressed with the tour that you uh, conducted at the mill. They, they really do have a lot to offer. But, you know, talking about businesses, uh, there's no way we can have a discussion about businesses without talking about COVID and the impact on businesses. So I want to throw this out there to all three of you. What have you observed or what type of effects on businesses have you observed as a result of this pandemic, uh, especially if you can point to anything in this area? Yeah, well, I can start, William. Just We just recently did a survey of our chamber membership to find out exactly how COVID's impacted them. Uh, we were asking about financials and revenues and things like that. And across the board, regardless of sector, um, the, the respondents said that they had about 34% drop uh, in the last six months over the previous year. And then I had another question for him that says, what do you anticipate is going to happen the next six months, right? I wanted to get a sense of their hope because um, entrepreneurs are nothing if not hopeful usually. Uh, and they said they thought they would have a, I think it was 34% so far, and then the next six months was going to be 33%. So there was a little bit of an increase of improvement, but they're not anticipating um, that things are going to get much better. And then we could we did some subsectors kind of pulling the data out and that sort of stuff too. The hospitality restaurants and things like that. I'd be interested to hear directly from Virginia because I'm sure her business was really hit. Um, but those people, those service industry folks were hit the hardest. And um, and we do have a handful of industries that are doing very well right now. They just happen to be positioned in a good place. Um, and they're, whatever they were building or making or selling is really needed right now in the pandemic. And so you see them uh, doing very well and they're surprised that they're doing well. But the, the biggest thing that I think is the vulnerability we see in businesses uh, with the pandemic is just the lack of cash on hand. So, so many of them only have two or three months of cash on hand, which is not uncommon, but when you hit a rough patch and you only have a few months in the bank, uh, it's very difficult to see yourself through a year-long recession or, or something where you're going to expect that downturn. So, that's what we're worried about right now for businesses in our community based on the pandemic is whether or not they have enough cash to keep their doors open so that they can, you know, manage until the until things really do pick back up. So I would say definitely um, just what I've noticed, um, if I can talk generally and then I'll uh, speak about popcorn, but uh, it's been a bit haunting for me because driving around and seeing um, businesses closed or seeing signs for sale on buildings or, you know, being part of the Bloomington Foodies group on Facebook and, you know, seeing posts of business owners that saying, unfortunately, next week is our last weekend we're doing carry out only that, you know, really just from a general sense, uh, speaking as an entrepreneur, as a business person, it makes me sad because I do believe one of the foundations of this great country is entrepreneurship. I really do. And it's just uh, breaks my heart to see so many businesses who've struggled and unfortunately who may never come back. And we're talking about may never come back even with the funds that they may have received by virtue of the uh, payroll protection after the CARES Act or grants or something that they may have received from their you know local lo local municipality or or whatever that might be because the reality is is you can get an infusion of cash or a grant or a help but like Aaron said if you don't have three to six months put back or have anywhere to get that from how are you going to really be able to thrive moving forward right because now you're spending money on PPE for your staff and all of these other regulatory things that we have to do now to operate business if you're a front-facing business in a pandemic world. It's very different. So for me personally, um, there were a lot of interesting things that happened because I'm a full-time faculty member. So in addition to having to adjust how I 
uh, operated at the university, right? So going from having face-to-face -face interaction with hundreds of students a week to uh, completely the university in March, having us go uh, an extra week of spring break and going completely digital, that was huge, right? So you're dealing with a lot of emotions there, myself and my students, um, and just having to transition in that way. But then with respect to the business, I still had a, a functioning business running with a full-time manager and two part-time employees. And I pretty much put a moratorium on everything. I was able to do that because I'm otherwise gainfully employed, but very humbly realizing that everyone did not have other means of income, right? So, um, but I thought, I don't think it's wise for me because just full transparency again, yes, I did receive a few small infusions of uh, funding from different sources during the pandemic, which I'm grateful for. That's the only reason I reopened because I did a calculation and I was like, well, if I can get this amount to at least pay my full-time manager through, you know, February, 2021, I'll reopen. But I said, I will not use all of my own money again to keep my business open because it's gourmet popcorn. It's a luxury product. It's not eggs and milk. I, I, I can't afford to sacrifice personally 50, 60, $70,000 again. I can't do it and I won't. So I'm thankful that those opportunities came through. But all that said, I, put, I halted everything in March uh, for a few weeks. And we actually did not physically reopen the storefront until I think early July. And because I do have one full-time manager who is the only person working in his home um, and being sensitive to his personal life and needs, I said, okay, we're only physically going to be open a few days a week, and we've still remained with that, um, and we're in production uh, one day, and we're pretty much all day in production in a commercial kitchen, and then we go another day for a few hours if we need to, and so I help out with some of that, but um, my part-timers, I've not hired them back. They're kind of on an as-needed basis, so if we have a huge order, like the Kelly School of Business ordered 2,500 bags for something at the beginning of the year, you know, I'll call the part-timers in for the kitchen to help with packaging. But um, yeah, it's been an adjustment. One thing I will say though, because we have a website and we've had a website since 2016, people shifted their direction to ordering online. So that has, we have this angel who, she was from Illinois she started ordering from us in, I want to say top of April, every other week, $500 worth of popcorn. I'm not kidding you. I was like, this angel has come and I'm so grateful. So, you know, it's been, but it's been interesting. It's, it's been interesting. And I, we're just trying to pivot, be exciting online and, you know, keep things going. Hi, this is Clarence Spoon, producer, bringing on. Just wanted to... Uh, interrupt for a quick second to remind you that it's uh, fun drive time at the station, WFHB. Hope you're enjoying our show, which is in progress right now, and hope you're enjoying this wonderful topic for tonight. Um, and speaking of topics, it's been our pleasure over the years to bring you a variety of different topics that are relevant for the community and for South Central Indiana and for the Black community as a whole. Uh, throughout the last couple months, we've talked about defending democracy, Black entrepreneurs in Bloomington, uh, the reopening of the Monroe County Community School Corporation and the destruction of our American institutions. That was a very uh, lively and spirited conversation uh, concerning the military and our president number 45 and the power of the black and brown vote. And we talked about defending democracy. We've talked about civil rights organizations fighting racial strife 
And uh, again, with this being the election season, we talked about Indiana state elections, and we try to be timely and relevant. We try to talk about those topics that matter the most to you, the listener. And through the years, your support has been uh, tremendous as you've encouraged us and you've helped us to strive to be even better. And we thank you for your input constantly when you uh, reach out to us at www.wfhb.org and you let us know what's on your heart and mind. And if you have topics or ideas for the show, we always welcome those. And um, to give during this fun drive time, you can call the station 812-323-1200. We have a, uh, a person, uh, a woman or a man that's sitting there right now. I don't know. We have so many volunteers here at the station. I know that they're smiling, waiting for your call. So when you call, just smile and give from the heart. And as we sometimes say in the church, give till it feels good. And also we have online giving available at www.wfhb.org. You can give safely and securely. And if you want to designate this show as a recipient, specific recipient of your gift, you could hit the bring it on red um, uh, button and then you can give directly to our show to support what we're doing. But again, it's been a pleasure as producer over these past 16 years. I have a wonderful, wonderful uh, cadre of individuals who works with us, volunteers rather, with us, uh, gives of their time, their talent, and we're, as we're asking you to give of their treasure, they give of their, their content and substance also. Uh, William Jose has been an exceptional assistant producer of the show and also has found his second uh, uh, path in life as a graphic artist, artist. And you've probably seen some of his graphic designs promoting our, our show's topics. But it's been a delight. Uh, he has been sort of the voice of Bloomington along with other volunteers that we've had through the years. And with that, we're gonna get back to the exciting conversation that's going on now with William uh, as co-host. And again, you're listening to Bring It On here at your community radio station, WFHB. Jim, what, what's your experience? Hey, uh, well, one, Cornelius, I appreciate you asking the, the, the question. And and as I heard everybody else's responses, I guess it uh, just really put our situation in a, in a really different perspective. So, so this is what I'm seeing. Let me start with Southern Indiana. So I partnered with 33 uh, small business owners from Jasper and Salem and Corden and French Lake to Bloomington and Nashville. So I think that's, I got a pretty broad perspective of Southern Indiana. So from that perspective, I mean, and and, and I realize it's, it's given the industry that we in insurance and financial services, but but as a territory, we're having rec a record year. Individually, many of my 33 business owners are having their best years ever. Now, while they had to reinvent themselves, hey, many of them shut down completely and started working from home. Um, it forced them to do things differently, but, but, you know, they are having record years. Uh, the territory is having a record year. Let's, I mean, let's go nationwide. The enterprise is having a record year. Uh, let me, let me move to my wife's business. So my wife's a therapist and uh, primarily marriage and family. She does do some, some other stuff as well. But of course we closed the office down when we moved here and we didn't immediately get office space, but again, she's having a record year. She's moved totally online. And obviously that probably makes sense to a lot of people. I mean, yeah, everybody needs therapy in these times, but, um, but I mean, she, she's expanded online and where we've moved from pretty much just Mississippi or just Illinois to, I mean, she's got clients now probably in 20 different countries. I mean, she'll get up. Wh why have you, why are you got a four o'clock appointment? Well, because in South Africa, it's, you know, 7 PM or whatever. So she's having like her best year ever. She, she's basically had to stop taking clients. Um, 
I, I reached out to a buddy back in Mississippi, uh, Derek. Derek owns an engineering firm. They're in about four, five, six states. He's got a couple hundred employees. I talked to him last week. Hey, Jim, we're having to gear up. We're having to hire more people. So, I mean, I feel like I got a pretty broad perspective from my industry, Southern Indiana, you know, a whole different business, my wife's business. I left out the uh, the kids' business in Nashville, the real estate business. I mean, now it's had to change. I mean, going out visiting homes and doing those kind of things, but that business is up. So I, I honestly... Uh, hadn't really thought about it. And, and I, I just, I just realized when you guys were talking, I haven't thought about, I guess, how fortunate, you know, we've been in this situation in the midst of these circumstances that we haven't not only, not only suffered, but I mean, we're actually doing better and I don't have a really good answer. Now, business looks a lot different, you know, I mean, especially for my wife, I mean, we won't even have an office anymore, but, but, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing. Well, and if I can add on to what Jim's saying too, I mean, that's that's what's been so crazy about the pandemic. There have been certain sectors that have just done amazingly well. Um, and Jim, it sounds like you've been exactly positioned with everyone that you love is working. I mean, you're right. Therapy and mental health services um, have, have been an increase. And we saw that in our survey. Legal services have gone up. Insurance services have gone up. So it's almost like people maybe had time and space to be getting their houses in order, right? So they started to make those calls and get those things done. Um we have stories locally of, um, you know, tailoring, tailoring um, businesses that have done really, really well. Not only are people needing to tailor their clothes because they possibly gained weight during the pandemic, um, but they've also needed masks. Um, and so they've been able to position themselves to be, you know, they both have the skills and the equipment needed to start a new product line. And so it's that innovation and pivoting, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit that's really showing people the way. Those ones that are able to kind of navigate those difficulties, um, we're seeing really positive things come out on the other side for them that they've been able to, like I said, start new product lines or pivot to online all. Um, just like Jim, you mentioned your wife going online with their therapy stuff. I, I th I've seen that a lot. Virginia, you have that with your popcorn. Um, those businesses that were ready, they probably didn't know they were getting ready for a pandemic, but mm -hmm. they were positioned in a good place to, to do well during the pandemic. Well, for our uh, listening audience, we're speaking with Aaron Predmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, Dr. Virginia Gathery, lecturer at the Indiana University School of Public Health, also founder and owner of Popcorn Kernels with a Twist, and Jim Adams III, Territory Sales Leader, State Farm Insurance. Over to you, Cornelius. I'd kind of like to take this in a different direction. Uh, when I was on the uh, status of black males, one of the things that we really tried to implement was a black business directory. And Jim, you may relate to this. Uh, we have a lot of students, a lot of new people who move into town and they're looking for a black barbershop as we were talking a little bit earlier with Aaron, a black church, uh, just different black businesses in general. And, and I know that the chamber has different directories and such, but is there a specific directory of some type for black businesses to advertise so that when people are moving into town looking for a minority business, it's right there in front of them. We actually do, uh, Cornelius. So we worked with our Black-owned business affinity group um, and first just checked with them because we, we had gotten this list together. A lot of it was word of mouth and people just sort of mentioning others that needed to be part of the group. Um, so we built a contact list and then checked with them to see if it was okay to list them and put them on the Chamber website. So if you go to the Chamber of Commerce under programs, uh, we have our Black-owned business affinity group. And then if you click there, it just has a full list of, of the whole group. Um, that 
that list is always growing. So for those listeners who are hearing this, go to the Chamber website, check it out. If we're missing someone, just go to um, contact us and it'll send us an email. You can put in whoever it is we're missing. Um, and if it's your, your own business, let us know. We can certainly add it. And if it's someone else's business, we'll give them a call or contact them and, and see if they want to be added to our list. So we're, we are trying to have a place where, um, just like you said, people can be able to find their way. New people in town can find their way into the business that they're looking for. Um, but then also I will say too, with the, um, there, there was a, a large outpouring of um, uh, support and interest in, in going into the black businesses in town, um, especially over the summer when we had the protest and things like that. There was a, a big part of uh, residents in Bloomington who said, we want to know where we want to spend our money to support black business. Um, and so they also, um, you know, non-minority residents will be using that list too if they are trying to put their money in that way to support uh, black business too. Earlier this year, um, during the State of the Black Community Address, we identified some of the challenges that Black business owners uh, have to deal with in, in trying to start up, maintain a business. Uh, some of those are being more likely to be turned out for loans, uh, lack of access to capital, uh, higher bankruptcies and credit risk ratings. And then you throw on top of that COVID. Um, black businesses were largely shut out from the money that was allocated by Congress to help business owners. And at the end of the day, even as early as April, when we were just barely into the shutdown, 41% of black owned businesses nationwide were gone completely. And uh, even before that, you know, you had black businesses would uh, fail at a much higher rate than white owned businesses. Now, Jim and Virginia, you talked about some of the challenges that you went through. Uh, both, uh, Jim, you lost your home. Virginia, you were afraid of losing your home. What were some of the other, other challenges that you had to deal with in uh, either starting your business or maintaining it or both? Jim, you, you, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I would say um, for sure, probably having to dual task can be very hard. Uh, I can speak to that with you know great candor and experience. Um, it's, it's, I don't may talk about, I talk about seeing my father, you know, doing both roles and knowing that that's possible, but that is not easy. And as a black woman who is a faculty member in a major Big Ten university, uh, there are not many of us. And so even if I don't talk about what I do personally, people know me. And that's not a thing where I'm trying to toot my own horn. They just do. Uh, the first time a student told me he Googled me, I was like, don't ever tell anybody you Google them. And other students are looking like, this is probably 15 years ago or so, I don't even know, or 12 years. So, you know, that's what people do. They Google you. So they know what you're doing. Um, and so because of that, that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, I have to be excellent in everything that I do. And I definitely can't slack off at my gainful employment obligations. So to that point, I would say managing, um, having to be excellent in everything that you do, because sometimes our counterparts, let's just be honest, don't have that type of ruler to measure up to. I'm just being completely transparent here. Um, as a black woman, I have a different barometer that I measure by. And so uh, sometimes I want to be able to be a slacker, but I can't because of I'm a black woman. And in a circle of people and in a group of people, they look at me and I'm laughing and I'm bubbling. They're like, oh, that silly girl. But then when they look at my credential, they're like, oh, hold on a minute. This chick is loaded with degrees. And not that it's all about degrees. I chose to go to school and get all this. I'm grateful. But what I'm trying to say is, is the microscope 
is a lot closer on me as a black woman than let's say maybe an Aaron. And that's not to be disparaging about Aaron, it just is. And so that makes it difficult sometimes to prove yourself in business, to be trust, to be found trustworthy, right? Um, and so I, I think that even more than maybe the cash thing, feeling like you have to do that, it, it's, it can be difficult and it can be very draining. You know, I, I guess my answer is, uh, and this this is like a whole nother show almost, but I'll just try to touch on the fringes. To me, it's it all starts with the foundation. Here's a story that I'll use to sum it up. So um, after I lost my house, obviously the business closed. After I had uh, wasn't sure where I was going to live. Now, now understand, I, I went from a business doing you know several hundred thousand dollars a month of income, at twenty full time people. I mean, life was good, but but I mean, I, I moved from there to literally this wedding band, pawning it to buy groceries. Did it twice. Got three hundred dollars for it. Remember it? Um, I'm sitting there at breakfast one morning with a with a. a a guy that I wouldn't say we were friends, but we partnered on a lot of ventures. And I was, I was saying to him, I said, Hey, I got to tell you something, the way you've managed to make it through this real estate crash. Now this is maybe 2011, 12, you know, after 2008, nine, I said, I got to tell you something, um, how you did this, you're, you're unscathed. You didn't miss a beat. It's amazing to me. Amazing to me. I I mean, I just, I, I just, obviously I couldn't make it. I'll never forget, he, he put, stopped eating, put his fork down. He said, Jim, I lost millions. I, I, I said, what? <laughs> You're living in the same place? You're driving the same stuff? You lost millions? And and and, and this was a guy, you know, not, not an African-American guy, white guy who I'd known for years. Uh, he said, here's the difference. <laughs> and he wasn't trying to be funny. I lost millions. You lost millions. In your case, you lost all you had. In my case, and again, he wasn't boasting about it. Hey, I'm still here. So to me, it's just the, and it gets into just so, I mean, it's a whole different discussion. Culturally, everything, it's like, where, where do we start from? What kind of foundation did we have? You know, uh, Virginia, tell her story. When we started our real estate investment business, we took our entire life savings. I, I mean, and that's a whole other conversation. Jim, wasn't that foolish? Well, I mean, maybe in hindsight, but, but I mean, we, we took at that time, every dime we had uh, $250,000 and we went all in. There was no room for error. I mean, hey, did you? What about the money over here? No, we use that. Well, no, we use that. So, so when it didn't work, I mean, now granted, we started in two thousand two. I mean, this was two thousand nine when it all came crashing down. But there was no trust fund or friends. I mean, there was no other two hundred and fifty thousand dollar pile of money or fifty thousand dollar pile of money. You know what I mean? It's, it's just so. You know, I, I work with business owners now, and part of what I do is kind of helping them launch their business. And here, here's a huge disparity. So I sit with somebody, let's say an African American candidate. Okay, now we're going to provide you a lot of financial support, but you need to have something. What do you have? Hey, I don't have any money. Okay, I sit down with somebody, you know, not African American. What do you have? I mean, these are, tr hey, I've got $200,000. Hey, my grandfather left me this money. I've got $300,000. Hey, now I'm not mad. You know, it just, it just is what it is. We don't have those stories to tell. And, and for us, you know, COVID, I mean, where for some people, you know, it's, it's okay, we can persevere. We've got the money, we've got the business, we've got the contacts, whatever. For many minority businesses, hey, a hiccup ends up being, being fatal. 
And so to me, that, that's the real big difference, you know, because I saw it personally. You know, that kind of uh, brings me to my next question. As I've been listening to the, bright, the ups, the downs, getting started, et cetera, and I'm thinking about some of the young people out there who may be listening, wanting to start their business, they may be thinking, whoa, time out. One, I don't have the resources. Two, I don't know if I could take that chance. But where, I, where I'm going with this is, are there any type of mentorship programs out there for our young African-American men and women um, so that they can learn the things that we're talking about today that you're bringing to the table and uh, as they try to go forth and start their business? I think that through the chamber, um, if we have listeners who are interested in starting their own business or trying to um, connect with mentors, reach out to us and let us know. So we do know, you know, over representing like 30,000 employees and staff at the 900 organizations, we will find you a place to be if you need to find somebody who's interested um, in, in kind of mentoring you and guiding you along. So if you're, if you're hearing this and you're interested in doing that, reach out, let us know. Um, we've got people in different sectors and different experiences themselves and at different levels of business. So somebody maybe who has an experience starting their own business and maybe, maybe you've got skills to start your own business, but maybe there's an aspect of that business that you want to learn. So maybe financial stuff is, is where you have a weakness and you need to be plugged into that world for a little while so that you can understand what those, you know, we talk about that generational gift of exposure and understanding. I mean, Jim mentioned that. I know Virginia's mentioned that too. I think that even goes so far as understanding the language that people use in business. I think it, it's about understanding, you know, what real estate means and how that, how those processes happen so that you feel comfortable you know, leasing a, a place to have a, a storefront or something like that. And it's a comfortable place to be. So if you're interested in having that exposure or need that so that you can be successful as you launch your business, we hear of that all the time. Um, and we help young people connect with business people throughout the community. Um, we have a, a program called Success School at the Chamber where we work with uh, K through 12 in our public schools to be able to get them ready for their career, whatever that career may mean. And so we bring professionals into the classroom. Uh, right now we're doing a lot of that virtually, but for that very reason, Cornelius is trying to link them to those mentors and that exposure so that they, when, when they graduate, they know themselves better. They have some basic skills and they're ready to go, but they also may have some path and some idea of what else they're going to try to do to plug in so that they can be successful in adulthood. Uh, we work on financial literacy, career exploration, job skills, soft skills, and then entrepreneurship. So if, you, if those graduates get, you know, repeated exposure over the years, we think that they're going to be ready to be successful adults. Um, I have a follow-up on that one. Uh, you mentioned the school districts, uh, the K through 12. Uh, I worked part-time after I retired at the Boys and Girls Club. And we're looking for a lot of different programs for our, uh, our members there. So I would kind of like to get with you, uh, if possible, to maybe we can have a virtual, uh, some type of working relationship with, with our members at the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, we'd love to do that. The Boys and Girls Club are a member of the chamber. Um, and so we love being able to support them in their work as well. And like you said, having kids, as often as we can share that information with them, they're going to need to hear it, you know, many, many times before it really sticks and they feel really comfortable with it. So we're happy to do lots of exposure. So yeah, we can follow up after this and, and talk about make some plans. Well, it's been an interesting conversation. We're coming down to our last few minutes, but I do want to mention that uh, we're going to be on a Zoom call tomorrow with the gentleman from the Kelly School of Business. And he's gonna be talking about some mentoring programs and some, some other initiatives and outreach to uh, minority businesses in, in this community. But I wanna start with Jim. And uh, then I wanna go around the horn and give each one of you a chance to uh, get the last plug in for your business and offer up any advice to entrepreneurs for startup businesses or even people who are already in businesses. You ready for that, Jim? 
Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I was just thinking kind of how I wanted to, to condense this. So um, I, here's what I'd say. I, I've, I was trying to remember. I can't remember all the different businesses that I've done. Um, I, I've had had two cell phone stores back in the day. I had a had a hair salon. Uh, had a printing business. I mean, I, so here's what I would say. Having done a lot of different things, um, the business that I'm in now, where you have a partner somebody who's done this and, and like Cornelius, you were mentioning like uh, kind of how you can, you know, teach and train people kind of partnering with somebody who can show you here's a track to run on. You're not reinventing the wheel. You're not having to start from scratch. You know, what I do now is, is as much fun as I've ever had. Um, now, you know, I'm still very much an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, I, I've never been completely comfortable working for somebody, you know. So the the thing about this role is I get to go out every day and visit with business owners, and and that's a lot of fun. So to, to the people who may be looking for a business to start, you know, I am looking for people in Southern Indiana right now to to you know, who want to be in business for themselves. I mean, I've got money that, that we don't loan you. We literally give you, you know, this is uh, obviously one of the most recognizable brands in America and you are in business for yourself. So it's like the best of both worlds is franchise like minus the franchise fee. So when I was looking for a place to land, you know, I, I, I had, had friends, you know, here at State Farm for 30 years, this was just the natural place for me to go. It's, it's, it allows you to be an entrepreneur without having to, to kind of make everything up. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking for people to have those conversations with to just see if what I'm offering and what you're looking for, we might have a match. So my business is Popcorn Kernels with Twist, and we do have a, a retail storefront. We're open Thursday through Saturday, noon to 5, 122 South College. It's on the corner of 4th and College. We also have a website, so you can order and have it shipped all over the country, plus all uh, military addresses that are even international, like we've shipped to Japan, um, www.popkorntwist.com. But I would say uh, write everything down. Um, I do that a lot. When I like have an idea, hear something in my head, uh, you know, have a vision about something, I write it down and write it down somewhere you can come back to it because our words are powerful, right? And like, speak it out, encourage yourself. Uh, you'll be surprised about how that works for you. And even it may sound crazy, but there's a reason why you have these ideas. And so I think that writing it down actually can help you to, and looking at it can maybe help you to orient your mind to starting the process, to doing the research. What do you need to do? Like for instance, I talked about driving to Madison, Indiana when I first started in 2007, even though I shut down a couple years after that because I didn't feel I had the resources I needed to continue like I wanted. I researched what it took to have a retail food business. And in the state of Indiana, in order to sell, even if you are selling online, by law, you have to work in a commercial kitchen. This may be a surprise to some of you. Some of you may not be doing it legally, and I would not blow the whistle on you, but I'm saying there are laws surrounding certain businesses. And so you can't just necessarily make cupcakes in your kitchen and sell them on a website. That's not, that's against the law in the state of Indiana. So you have to take some time, research the law, get yourself legal so that when the opportunity comes for doors to open for you, you'll have no issue navigating those spaces. Okay, Aaron, you get the last word, but before we do, the, do that, I want to ask Jim to let our audience know how they can contact him. Yeah, thanks, William. I, I totally forgot that. So, hey, here's the best thing. Just text me. Uh, my, my cell is 309-205-8586. 
309-205-8586. Just text me. We'll set up a time. Now, also, let me let me just put you at ease. I'm not going to berate you and try to coerce you into starting your own business. I'm just, I just want to have a conversation. At the end of the conversation, you may not want to do it and or I may not want you to do it. So, so I, I'm totally transparent. We sit down, uh, you, you know, I'll be like a mentor, like an advisor. We'll talk about this opportunity, the opportunity being state farm agency. And, and, and I can, if this doesn't fit what you're trying to do, maybe I can even help point you in a direction that fits what you're trying to do, but Hey, just text me and we'll set up a time to visit. Okay. Last word, Aaron. Yeah, I would. Um, I think the theme I want our listeners to take away is that the, the mentoring that we've been talking about, it does happen K through 12, but it also happens in college. It also happens out of college. It happens your whole life as a business owner. And so it is that stuff like Virginia's talking about. It's not just about having that dream. It's about putting, I guess, wheels on the car. I mean, you've got to be able to find out who to meet with and you've got to be able to make some decisions and feel educated enough about your choices so that you're feeling confident. And that confidence is what I feel like really takes those businesses to that next level is that they, they feel comfortable enough in that sphere. Um, so the chamber's here. We're happy to help you feel more comfortable in that sphere. And if you're interested in, you know, joining the chamber, we do have, um, if you, or if you want to try us out, we do have minority, uh, business owned or minority owned business do sponsorships available. And so we would love for you to become and be part of the chamber so that you can benefit from all of our resources and help you to strengthen your business and grow. Um, because we, we miss you when you're not here with us. And we know that it's not a complete community reflection when we're, we're missing some important people. So if you're hearing this and you've got a business and you want to find out more about the chamber, you can reach out to me. It's epredmore at chamberbloomington.org. And I'd be happy to talk to you more about, about getting more involved and helping your, helping your business to grow. And your website? Oh, yeah. The, the website is uh, chamberbloomington.org. So you can okay. find us on the website. And, and also that uh, our Black-owned business list is on there, too. So if you're interested in and uh, going to some of those businesses, that list is there. Well, we had a wonderful conversation this morning or this evening, and I really, really hope that our listeners reach out to our guests because this is so important for our community to become uh, uh, business owners and, and to, um, to really see what we can do as a people. So I want to thank Aaron Friedemore, the president and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Dr. Virginia Githiri, lecturer at Indiana University School of Public Health in Bloomington and founder and owner of Popcorn Kernels with a twist, and Jim Adams III, the territory sales leader for State Farm Insurance. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would love to hear what they are. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Our email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. If you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Promotional graphics created by yours truly. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.